Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I'm going to read off a list of things, and I want you to try and think of what they all have in common. First day of summer, turning 16, graduating school, weddings, when guys are old enough for their insurance to be cheaper, when the stakes hit the grill, the birth of a child, first day of football season, opening presents on Christmas Day. What do all these things have in common? All of them have anticipation. With every single one of these, there is an anticipation that comes. And some of my most vivid memories, probably way up there, my most vivid memories of growing up with Christmas is the inability to sleep on Christmas Eve, just laying there, like, go to sleep, go to sleep with my eyes wide open, uh, looking up at my grandparents' ceiling, and uh, having that anticipation about what the next day would bring. And we all know what it feels like to anticipate something. And this is especially true during the Christmas season. Christmas has many components that are Christ-centered. And many components that have nothing to do with, with Jesus. Now, I do want to make a little note. I grew up in a family where my mom didn't like when you said Happy Holidays because that meant you weren't saying Merry Christmas. You know, you were taking the Christ out of Christmas. But I, I do want you to know that the word holiday comes from holy days. So in some ways... Even when you're saying happy holidays, you are saying happy holy day. And the reason it's holy is because of Christ. So we're covered both ways, you know. All those people that think they're being politically correct by just having happy holidays, little did they know they're still celebrating Jesus, okay? All right. But one of the things that both Jesus Christmas and commercial Christmas or market Christmas, whatever you want to call it, both have in common is the anticipation. With market commercial Christmas stores, they start selling Christmas decorations around June now. You know what I mean? They can't wait. They're anticipating. Uh, People, they can't wait to put their decorations up at their house. You know, there's the big debate. When are you allowed to start? When are you, you know, all that? Because you can't wait to get the decorations out. We have countdowns for Christmas. We anticipate the presents that we're going to give, the presents we're going to receive. We anticipate those Christmas milestones stones, you know, your first Christmas, uh, first Christmas as a couple, your first Christmas with children, your first Christmas with, you know, so on and so forth. We anticipate having all these kids and loved ones in our house. There is a buzz in the air. People often just remark that they love December because they love that feeling in the air. And I would argue that that feeling is probably a level of anticipation. And Christians have, for centuries, anticipated the Christmas season because what Christmas is about is the anticipation of the Messiah coming in the flesh. Why is Christmas so important? It's because two things are happening. Two anticipations are happening at the same time. When we relive the anticipation of Christ's arrival in a manger, we also look towards the day where we anticipate Christ's arrival again to make all things new. So there is a mirror thing happening. The anticipation that Christians feel all over the world of, wow, our hope is coming, is also the same anticipation we feel about our hope coming in the future when he comes again. Does that make sense? So the thing that I want you to hear from me is that if you are someone where your excitement and your anticipation is about what I'm calling commercial Christmas, that will inevitably fade over time. You may go through enough strings of Christmases where the commercial or the the things that people are telling you to be excited about keep on hitting, but there will come a Christmas 
where you're like, why am I not all that excited this year? Because the thing that you are anticipating is something that is not eternal. A good, here's a good illustration. Uh, when we were... Uh, when I was growing up, our church at Belton, we would go to two of the lower income elementary schools every Christmas and do a Christmas dinner for them. And what me and my dad would do and a few other volunteers is we would, for the whole three hours, we would do a puppet show for Twas the Night Before Christmas. So me and my dad would, and my sister and a few others would do Twas the Night Before Christmas like 20 times, you know, over and over. And so for me, it's still so fun to read Twas the Night Before Christmas with my kids. But, even though that's really good, if all I have to anticipate Christmas is twas the night before Christmas, that will not get me through the highs and lows of life. Does that make sense? But, if what we anticipate every year around this time, if every year the thing that we anticipate is Christ's arrival, you will never be disappointed. You will always find that in this season, it will bring you, in the midst of the darkest times, when you're anticipating Christ, it will bring you joy and hope and peace and love. So the first question, if you're a note taker, the first big idea is for you to be thinking about in the next however many days, in the next 22 days, what are you, or maybe more appropriately, who are you anticipating? And we see from Scripture there's one really easy way to discern who or what you are anticipating. Um, If I told you, if I told you that uh, someone invited you over for dinner and said, hey, you should come over for, for dinner Thursday night, let's have a great meal together, okay? And you showed up and ring the doorbell and the house doesn't smell like there's any cooking and you walk in and, and there's no food in the oven or on the table, there's no food. You would probably think, well, one, you'd think, okay, you forgot or we, I got the days wrong. But you would also, if, if they said, oh no, I knew it was today, it meant that they were not anticipating you. And so, the next big idea that you need to hear is that for in scripture, what we're going to just about to talk about, the that preparation is the evidence of anticipation. I will know who or what you are anticipating by how you are preparing. Does that make sense? If the number one thing you are anticipating is the gifts that you're going to receive, you might be preparing on Amazon a lot of hours for the next month. If the thing that you are anticipating is Christ's arrival, you are going to be preparing, but it's going to look differently. We're going to read today from a passage that is actually in all four Gospels. I know you may not believe me, but there are very, very few stories that are in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For example, 50% of our Gospels say nothing about the birth of Christ. That seems interesting, right? But this is in all of them. And this is at the beginning of all of them. Every single gospel quotes from Isaiah 40. So let's read from Isaiah 40 together. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. By the way, I think... There's a chance you could read that as she has received double good for all of her sins because it's been paid for. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. This is the line right there that's quoted all the time, talking about John the Baptist preparing the way for Christ. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Anything that's going to get in the way of the the word of the Lord, make it right. Every low spot that you're going to have to go way down, 
we're going to raise it up and make it level. Every mountain that you have to climb over, we are going to level it. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist is the voice crying out to the people that the one they have been anticipating has come. So what should we do to anticipate Christ? We see it here. The way that we show our anticipation of the one who is coming, the way we show our anticipation of the glory of the Lord that will be revealed, is to prepare the way of the Lord. So now the question is, how do we prepare the way of the Lord? We're going to spend the rest of the sermon just talking about four ways that we see from John the Baptist in the Gospels of what it looks like for us. Because this is, this is a, a good question. You know, this is something my dad said. He said, every time I preach around Christmas, I know this is what half or more of the congregation are thinking. Well, you know, um, why exactly are we talking about Christmas right now? Because the Bible clearly doesn't say, you know, well, Jesus was born in December. It doesn't, that's what people are thinking. But the reason why we talk about this is because the world is talking about the birth of Christ. And we are going to be a people that say, oh, we're talking about the birth of Christ too. We're anticipating it and we're preparing for it, but the way we prepare for it looks different than the way you prepare for it, okay? Not that, not that you don't buy candy canes, not that you don't, you know, we've already got three trees up at our house. I'm not saying you don't do that, but I'm saying that the number one thing that you do is to prepare for Christ's arrival. So here are four ways. We're going to look at four ways that we see John the Baptist showing us what it looks like for us today to anticipate Christ's birth and as a foretaste of anticipating his return. So the first one is this. I didn't write these up here, but I think you can follow along. The first one is, is that John preached. He shared the news of Christ's coming. We need to spend the next month being people that are telling people, I'm really excited right now because Christ is coming. I am preparing in the same way that people were longing for the arrival of the Messiah's birth. I am going to tell you about how I'm longing and I'm preaching the message of Christ's coming again. The second thing that we do to prepare is we repent. We, part of the word repent, we see John saying over and over, John preached to the people in the wilderness a message of repentance. And there's something kind of poetic here that you need to see. In the wilderness, you could argue that that was a really difficult time for the people of God when they were in the wilderness. Very tough. But in other ways, part of this language of a voice of one calling in the wilderness is that in the wilderness, people believe that is one of the best places that you saw the father-child relationship between God and his children. Because in the wilderness, all they had was the father. All they had to depend on was Him to sustain them and get them through every day. And so in, even though the wilderness was a very tough place, in a lot of ways it was the place where everything else had been cut away and it was just them daily leaning on God for their provision and daily leaning on God for their guidance. The cloud or the pillar of fire guiding them through the wilderness. And so when you see this word repent, the word, it doesn't mean stop messing up even though that would probably be something that should be a part of it, is to no, no longer live a way opposite of what God would want you to do. But the key word is that to repent means to come back. Come back to what? Well, that inherently implies that your starting point is a place of you and God, father and child. 
And so when Paul, whenever John says, you know, I'm preaching this message of, of repentance, it means we return to our origin. It is in the wilderness that the people of God walked alone with Him. He was their true God and they were His true people. Yes, they complained and grumbled, but they were together. All they had was each other. And to prepare for Jesus to come this season is to come back to a place where we are relying on God alone. So this, the first thing, we preach the message. The second thing we do is we return. We come back to a place where what we have is God and all we need is God alone to be with Him. The third thing is this, is that we bear fruit. I'm going to read from Luke's account of this, uh, starting around verse 7. I guess I don't have a slide for that up here. John, he sees the crowds coming and he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's a great way to describe it. Hey, you have returned to your origin. You are back here, you and God. Now, produce fruit that looks like that. And he says some hard things, like talking about how the axe is ready, the fire, the axe is at the tree. And, and the people ask him, what should we do then? And this is what he answers. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. It's so interesting that the first thing when they ask him, what should we do? His first thing that he does is he lists an example of something that this is what it looks like if you're bearing fruit. You're sharing with those who don't have. The tax collectors, they come to be baptized. And teacher, they ask, what should we do? He says, don't collect any more than what you are required to. What does it look like to bear fruit of repentance, of being back in a right space with God? It is to do the right thing for people and not misuse or abuse that power. Some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Isn't that interesting? Like, if you're, if you're Luke writing this gospel, you'd be a lot more excited if he said some really powerful, like, remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know, you want some big, passionate sounding thing. And yet, what do we get? Very practical examples of what it looks like to produce fruit. So the third way that we prepare for Christ's coming is to be people who bear fruit in our lives. And then here's the last one, the fourth one. Throughout, Paul is saying this. He is saying, repent and be baptized. Come and return. And then he says, because the kingdom of God is near. And so the fourth thing that we do to prepare, and we see this throughout the New Testament, is that the way that you prepare for Christ's coming, you see this over and over in the New Testament, be on watch, be alert, for the day of the Lord is coming, and you won't know when to expect it. And what does it look like to be prepared? It is to live in the present as if the kingdom of God were already here. To prepare and anticipate Christ's coming is to live today as if Christ has already come, which, by the way, for us, He has. And we anticipate the day then we will all be together with him in the kingdom. I've got a, a little illustration for you. Uh, I had a professor in college, a Hebrew professor. So not everybody had to take Hebrew. You had to take a couple years of Greek. But if you wanted to, if you were a brown noser like me, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you took maybe Hebrew, okay? And one thing I remember my professor used to always say when he'd make his pitch. This is obviously a joke. But he would say, you know, you don't have to take Hebrew, um, and you don't have to know Hebrew to go to heaven. But when you get there, you won't know what anybody's saying if you don't know Hebrew. <laughs> that was his pitch that he liked to joke. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine you actually believed that. Okay? I want you to actually imagine that you believed, if I want to be able to understand any of the words and the songs and anything God's saying to me, i got to learn Hebrew. How would you anticipate the kingdom of God? You know, Hebrew Rosetta Stones would be flying off the shelf, okay? Does that make sense? You would be desperately trying to learn Hebrew, not because it is, well, you're not getting in if you don't. 
but because you want to be a part of the kingdom. And I think you could say the same thing. I think about there's so many married or people that are thinking about getting married and what they do is they're living lives that are not like a married couple and then they go, well, you know, once we get married, then I'm going to flip the switch. There is no such thing as flipping the switch in life. If you've got a college athlete who thinks they're going to be an all-star in the professional sports and they're not disciplined about their eating, they're not disciplined about their exercise, but they're just talented, and the scout says to them, hey, your coaches say you're not the most disciplined person. Like, what about when you're a pro? Oh, once I'm a pro, I'll flip the switch. I'll be very mature. That's not how it works. The way you anticipate where you are going to be for eternity is by preparing now and living in that kingdom today as it will be for eternity. So this is my invitation. This is how I'd like, to, I'd like to challenge you with this sermon. My invitation is this. We are going to join the world in anticipating the arrival of Christmas. But what we are going to do is the way we are going to anticipate it is by preparing for Christ's return. We are going to anticipate it by preaching the message, by repenting to our original status as the children of God with Him alone, sustaining us. We are going to bear fruit and we are going to live today as if the kingdom of God were already completely here, as it is now and will be someday. I know that I won't be able to convince all of us, including myself, to completely ignore all the preparation that comes for Christmas. I got an email in my, my, on my email right now that's a Google Doc with Richie family wish list. You know? I, there's no way that I'm not going to think about what presents I want to get for my nieces and nephews and those things. But let's be real, Catherine's going to get the presents for my nieces. And, but still, I'm going to be preparing and I'm going to be anticipating. But I want to challenge you to anticipate Christ this season and to prepare for Him above all other anticipation and preparation. The way that we... This is, I think, something that I, I like how this sounds. The way that we prepare and anticipate during this month will have an impact on how you anticipate and prepare for Christ's coming the other 11 months. Because the reason we anticipate Christmas is because we yearn for the arrival of our hope and our rescue. And we prepare for the day when Christ will come again to make all things new and to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. I'm going to close by reading Psalm 85. After I finish this reading, if any of you would like to talk more about what it looks like to prepare the way of the Lord, uh, to hear the voice of one calling, or if you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be at the doors after I finish reading. This is from Psalm 85. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to His people, His faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely His salvation is near those who fear Him, that His glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before Him and prepares the way for His steps. If any of you would like to come and have prayer requests uh, while we sing this song, I'd invite you.